Yo, 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 Big D back with a UFC 282 preview on the Big D podcast. Before I bring in my UFC friend, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page to all my content. Also, check out the Big D podcast for all your audio listeners on Spotify and Apple. So joining me today, the only guy who the only guy who feels he can take down George St. Pierre and Tom Brady. That would be Billy Ward. Billy, uh last pay-per-view of the year. You know what that means. Well, it used to mean something different than it means this year, because we used to get a huge blowout at the end of the year. Not gonna be the case this time. You know, we had the loss of the original main event with Yuri Prohaska and Glover running it back. So you know, a little bit of a smaller pay-per-view in terms of excitement level, but, you know, last one, we then we got one more fight night and a break for a little while, so might as well enjoy it while we have it. Yeah, before we talk about the uh, main event for Saturday Night's called, uh, I'm a little bit, you you mentioned the uh, one fight, the uh, one main event fight that was scheduled to take place between uh, Yuri and Grover this year. I remember that crazy fight it was because Grover was Grover was this like 41 42 year old champ and then Yuri came in and they and I didn't think Grover had a chance and they both went toe to toe I mean Yuri ended up submitting Grover late but that was a great fight and I wanted to see it again yeah and that and that's the shame of this one because we were going with only one title fight which usually they do two on the pay-per-views but you know it's like well it's a rematch of one of the better fights we've seen in a long long time so we can kind of we can accept it under those circumstances now yuri has a shoulder injury he vacated the belt they offered glover one of these guys he said he wanted more time to prepare as he should because they're totally different opponents than yuri so then they just kind of shoved him out of the way because they needed a title fight here so again, it's a title fight. I think they've promised Glover the next shot at whoever wins this, and then probably Yuri will be back by then for the next next shot. But this they're calling it an undisputed title, but it really feels like an interim situation since we have the next couple challengers planned out. I feel I feel like this is more like when like somebody retires and boxing the or boxing the USC can can ill afford to not have a solid they need a title fight. Well this is like the so what title fight. At least it's a sort of a title fight. Yeah, the thing that annoys me is the decision to make interim belts or real titles or whatever seems totally random. Like Volkanovsky is going up to challenge for the one fifty five, but they're doing an interim one forty five when Francis Ngannou hasn't fought in almost a year. That hasn't been an interim title. This one, Yuri just totally vacated it when it would make sense for an interim title when the champion gets hurt. Like, there's just no rhyme or reason to why they do that. And that that's the part that bothers me, because if anything deserves to be dubbed an interim and not the real title, it's this one. The champion got hurt. That's why we do that. But apparently not. So who knows? It really doesn't matter at the end of the day what you call it. It's a five-round fight. It's, you know, two fairly well-known fighters, Blahovich, former champ. Akalaev has been rising through the ranks for a long time. It kind of seemed like he was getting pushed aside because of the Yerian Glover rematch. So, from his standpoint, you know, he might be the best 205er in the world on a, was this, nine fight win streak. So, I, I get why he gets the title shot. It just seems unfair to Yeri and also to Glover. Yeah, I remember one time, I think it was when Tito Ortiz and uh, Chuck Liddell were, were in their rivalry that uh, Dana White created an interim 205 belt because Tito wouldn't fight Chuck Liddell. 
Yeah, and I don't know. It's it's been different in recent years as we've tried to make it more legitimate of a sport. But but yeah, let's talk about this main event. What, what we're seeing from it. Uh, I'm I am intrigued by Ankawai because I I'm excited from him nine fight winning streak. But to me, the question is: Is Ankawai ready to take the next step and to take on one of the best two fivers in the world in a in the Polish soul? Yeah, I mean, he was one of the best two fivers in the world. Did get submitted by Glover, you know his. Only win since then was against Alexander Rakic when Rakic hurt his leg. And that was a fairly close fight. It's not like Blahovic was dominating him. I think, actually, I think the scorecards were one to one and the injury happened in the third round. So, I mean, this is probably the easiest path to the title, I'd say, for Ankoliev against 40 ish year old Jan Blahovic, who hasn't really done much in the last couple of years. You know, his last, if you want to say, legitimate win was more than 18 months ago. And that was against middleweight Israel Adesanya. So it's been a long time since we really saw him at the peak of his powers. He's never been the greatest grappler. You know, he gets there more with his striking. And Ankolaev, you know, the Russian grappler, like many of them are, definitely has an advantage on the ground. Probably will be the better athlete at this point in their careers. I don't I don't really see a clearer path other than a puncher's chance for Blahovich in this one. It seems like Ankolaev should win this fairly easily. I feel I feel the same way because hearing hearing reading about Ankalife, I feel like he's the more round round well round and fire better grappler, probably better conditioning with without all the wear and tear of being mm-hmm. thirty nine years old like that. Plus, I think Ankalife wants I think Ankalife wants to prove that he's the two five champ. No matter what happens between Yuri O'Groa, he's like, I want that belt. Belt, and if I have to beat both of them, so what? I'll beat both of them. And that kind of seems like how it's going to go. Is it'll be, you know, the winner of this fights Glover, and then after that fights Yuri would be my guess. But you know, Ankalaev is probably favored against Glover and pretty close against Yuri, I would guess. So. That would be how I would handicap it, you know, once we get those fights booked. And we'll obviously see how he looks between here and there, which could change a lot. But, but yeah, I mean, it's really interesting from a DFS standpoint just because we're expecting a stoppage in this one. It should probably be fairly early. And, you know, you and I haven't spoke since the UFC or DraftKings started doing late swap for UFC contests. I think this is one where you start with both those guys. And if you're cashing easily and most of your undercard fighters won, then you just leave them both in there and take your points. But if you find yourself behind, you know, if you're a little bit behind, you probably switch off Blahovich and try to find another underdog with a better shot. Or if you're way behind, you know, you switch off Ankalaev, you know, maybe you get Patty Pimblet or Pantanibio or someone fighting shortly before their fight. Hope you get an upset in the main event. So that that's an interesting one. Obviously speaking from cash games there. And, you know, for GPPs, if you, think you have a shot but you're blocked by some guys ahead of you and you have let's say Blahovich and Gordon maybe you switch to Ankalaev and Pimblet or something like that to try to get a little bit differentiated so I think I think that's an interesting element of it it doesn't seem like a fight where the loser is going to put up a good score either Ankalaev is going to take Yuri down and kind of work him I'm sorry Jan or uh Jan's going to have to knock him out which probably means not a lot of points for Ankalaev so this is not one where I think you necessarily want to leave both guys in there. I think you start with both of them. If you have a good lead going into the end, you know, you've got the safer option that way. Yeah, these Don late, late swaps 
put a wrench in everybody's plan because uh, a now we're staying up till twelve thirty one in the morning. Well, we would be anyway, but b now everybody's like jumbling the line. So if my line's doing great, so what? I'll keep it in there. But if I see, oh wait, two of my guys suck, then I'm gonna then I need a plan B. Yeah, my my general outlook is if you get four winners of your six lineups, more often than not, you're going to cash. So if you have only two winners going into the last two fights, you don't want two guys fighting each other. If you have three winners of your first four, you can probably leave those two in there. You've guaranteed yourself four wins in your lineup, probably end up all right. This really strikes me as a fight where the winner will have a very good score, you know, either a quick knockout from... Jan or a ton of takedowns and ground and pound from Ankalaev, but the loser will have almost nothing. So, like, there'll be a high number of total points, but most of them are going to go to the winner. Where we've seen a lot of these fights that go longer, where there's a high number of total points, but they're kind of more evenly distributed. This feels like, I mean, this feels like the one title fight, partly because of the weight class, partly because of the fighting side, where it's more GPP fight than a cash game fight, where I think you want to have, why? I think you want to have one of the two fighters, but I don't, but I'm not sure about having both of them. Yeah, and that's kind of my logic, is if, if you only need the score from one of them because you did so well early on, leave them both in there, that way you don't have to worry about trying to get it right. If you feel like you probably need two more wins, then, you know, do you switch off to Jared Gordon in the co-main event? I think he's probably a little bit undervalued right now against Patty Pimblett. Pimblett really hasn't fought anyone tough in the UFC. He's looked great against the guys he's fought, but it's been lower-level competition. Where, you know, Gordon's solid. He's not a world-beater. I don't think he's going to be a title challenger, but it's definitely a step up for Patty Pimblett. So there's that option. You know, even Alex Morono, in the, who's replacing Robbie Lawler, on the main card to fight Ponzinibbio. You know, Ponzinibbio's 38. He's, or, I'm sorry, 36. But he's taken a lot of damage. You know, he's lost his last couple. Morono's won four in a row. Looked pretty good. Morono's the underdog here, but I think if he had had a full training camp, it probably would be close to a toss-up. That's an option to pivot off one of the cheaper fighters. So there's definitely ways to go about it. Yeah, you we all you already mentioned Patty Pemlin and uh pay-per-view fans will get the chance to see a Mr. Pemlin in action for the first time this weekend. Uh, what intrigues you about Mr. Pemlin? Yeah, I don't know. I it'll be interesting to see how he does against somewhat higher level of competition. He should beat Jared Gordon. Like he's fighting Jared Gordon for a reason. The UFC does not want Patty Pemlin to lose. No one really wants that. You know, Gordon's kind of a journeyman been around for a little bit been solid though you know he's won four of his last five they've been some close decisions his only loss was to grant dawson and i think that tells us something because grant dawson's a real high level wrestler also british not that that matters and i think if there's a weakness in gordon's game it's just those high level grapplers which obviously pimblet is the issue i could see is that grant dawson has a lot better wrestling than patty pimblet does so he might have a hard time getting Gordon down. I think this is going to be more competitive than the betting lines suggest, but Patty Pimblett should ultimately be able to find a submission somewhere in there. I am worried, though. He's real wild with the striking, doesn't really seem interested in much defense. Gordon's got some pop. He can catch some guys, real good leg kicks. I can see Pimblett getting himself into trouble here. This is even one where, from a betting standpoint, I'm probably laying off ahead of time, but considering betting Jared Gordon live after round one, depending on how that one goes, because we haven't really seen Pimblick go deep into a fight, and he fights so wildly, it seems like that would be really hard to keep up for 10 or 15 minutes. 
And we know the issues with his conditioning and how out of shape he gets between fights. So all of that together tells me he's probably not a guy who's going to do well in the third round of a fight. So if Pimblet wins round one, you see a huge number on Gordon. That might be a good live bet. And plus, guess how many times Pimblin has flown in the U.S.? Is it zero? Or one, maybe? I don't believe he's fought. All of his fights have been in the U.K. All three? We really went over there three times? Uh, I'm looking. I believe you. I'm just surprised by that. I don't remember three London cards. No, he fought in the Apex Center in his UFC debut. Okay, okay. All but one. Yeah, that's what I said. I knew it. No, it was, it was kind of a guess, but educated guess, I'd say. All but one of his pro fights have come in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much that matters. Like, I think it does to some guys. I will say, like, speaking from a fighter who traveled a lot and stuff, I was more messed up sleeping in my own bed because it wasn't my routine. When I was out on the road in a hotel doing my normal thing, like, that felt a lot more natural than, you know, hanging around my house the afternoon of the fight and then driving down to the arena the couple times I did that. So, you know, it. I don't think it's like the home field advantage we see in other sports being my point. I mean, I think, I think Pimlin's, Pim, I mean, Pimlin's interesting. He's wild. He, he can get a little out of control. If Gordon can keep this fight, especially on the ground, maybe get some takedowns, maybe get, maybe punch and then take him down. That would be Gordon's best chance of making this fight interesting. Um, I, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit there. I think Gordon needs to keep it standing. He's probably the better wrestler. You're right in that regards. If I'm Jared Gordon, I don't want to play with the submissions of Patty Pimblett, though. That's where he really that too. shines. That, too. So, you know, we've seen Pimblett hit guys with flying triangles and cage warriors and pull submissions out of nowhere. I don't think he wants to grapple with Patty. The question is whether Patty can take him down. I, I don't think it's going to be a given that he does. You know, is Patty willing to pull guard or go for a flying triangle or, you know, pull some Algermain Sterling, take your back standing kind of thing? If he's able to do that, then he probably makes pretty short work of Jared Gordon. If he's unable to and we get a lot more striking, Pimblet's defense is bad. He's not really a technical striker. He throws hard. He's athletic, but he doesn't, you know, he's not some guy that could walk into a boxing gym and look good. So it'll be interesting. Uh, So uh, what's uh, your DFS cash strategy looking like for this weekend's card? Because this is intriguing. I mean, yeah, the main event, but I'm not sure – both fighters look like great catch options. I think one and will, but but not both of them necessarily. So how are you thinking? Forty eight hours between before the line, the first line of slot. Yeah, I was actually uh, running through and doing our projections right before I hopped on this with you. So I haven't quite finished. Anyone, by the time you hear this, the projections, if you're a Fantasy Lab subscriber, will be up. I honestly think the biggest thing is you would be crazy to go into a cash lineup without Raul Rosas Jr., the guy who fought at age 17 on the Contender Series, now making his UFC debut. He's a featherweight, I believe, maybe flyweight, smaller weight class being the point, and all the dude does is grapple. He has a way easier matchup against Jay Perrin than he had on the Contender Series, and he picked up like six or seven takedowns. And it's just these lighter weight wrestlers are awesome for DFS because they don't do a good job of holding their opponents down, but then they just take them back down again. So this is one where, you know, I'm going to have to manually update our projections to like raise how many takedowns we have in there. And even that is probably not going to be enough. He'll probably end up with seven or eight. 
So I think you start every lineup there just because, you know, even compared to the other high-priced fighters, his ceiling is just so much higher. And if he's 60% owned and scores 140 from so many takedowns, you're kind of out of luck if you don't have him. You know, Pimblet, I think, similar price range and similar uh, betting odds, don't think is as strong of a play because he's probably not going to get multiple takedowns. If he wins, it's probably because he submits him with the first takedown he gets. Submissions aren't as great. So, you know, not as interested in Patty. There's honestly none of the heavy favorites outside of Ankalaev and Rosas seem super appealing. So I think it's going to be a lot more balanced lineup. You know, finding those guys in the mid to upper 8,000s that you like and can actually pull off a win, I think will be the key here. Yeah, because I don't really, I don't really like the guys, the two of the uh, heavy favorites at uh, ninety three, uh, Simon or Shabayan. Shabayan. Yeah, I mean, both those guys, they have really good matchups. I have a lot more trust in Simon. He fought on the Contender Series recently too. Also, super young. I think he's yeah, not quite twenty two. The guy he fought, his last fight was against someone four and four. And his fight before that was against someone one and one. So they both have six and zero records. But Kozlov, who's fighting Simon, Kozlov hasn't fought anyone legitimate. Where Simon, you know, beat a five and one fighter on the Contender Series, beat an eight and seven before that. You know, they they brought him up a little bit. I think Simon does really well here. I just don't know that that necessarily translates to the fantasy points we need. You know, just because a fighter dominates doesn't always mean it's a big score. We pretty much need knockdowns or takedowns. So if a guy's not going to get you either of those then I'm not going to pay, you know, above 9000 for. Uh, Do you ultimately believe the UFC late swap is for DFS is good or bad? Because we've experimented with late swaps the last couple of weeks, and uh, it's intriguing to see, like, two guys lock or three guys lock, but do you think the least swap is a good thing or bad thing for DFS players? For who? Which DFS players? You know, with, with everything, there's there's going to be winners and losers. And we saw the same thing in NBA where a lot of the casual players were really mad that, you know, late news would scratch one of their guys. And then it just ended up helping the, you know, the pro players and the sharps way more than they thought, because those guys are making late pivots all the time, figuring out the optimal lineup, given what they already know. You know, I think this one, if you are watching the fights live and tracking your lineups, it probably helps you. You know, I do that probably 90% of UFC cards. I'm locked in. I will say if I know I can't watch a fight all the way through, I'm not going to play cash. It just feels like throwing away money at that point. I actually don't think it's a huge impact on GPPs, just because you have to find the optimal lineup and you can't pivot to that guy once his fight already happened. So if there's, you know, a fighter in the first fight costs 7,800 and scores 130 points, there's not really a late swap you can do that fixes that. So I don't think it's as important for GPPs. I think some of the smaller GPPs, you can look and you say, okay, there's two guys ahead of me. You know, I use the Roto Grinders browser extension that tells you how much salary people have left on the table based on who's already went. There's two guys ahead of me. They have this much salary left. That means they're probably playing this fighter. If you're sitting in 30, you know that's the case. Yeah, swap to somebody else. In a massive GPP where there's 200 of those lineups that are in front of you, it's going to be hard to figure out who you're blocked by and whatnot. So I think it's a huge impact on cash for like the seven of us that do it. Pretty big impact on smaller field GPPs. I don't think it really matters too much in like the you know 100K to first place just because you need the perfect lineup 
And if one of your fighters loses early, can't fix that by late swap. Or if you have a lineup that doesn't have, you know, the underdog knockout in the second fight, can't fix that with late spot. So, yeah, I, I guess the biggest thing I would say is if you're not willing or able to watch the fights and adapt as you go, definitely don't play cash. Probably don't play smaller field GPPs. And and you've lost some equity. You know, you're losing some edge if you're not watching. For those of us who are sitting in front of the TV, you know, updating it every single fight, gives us a little bit more of a boost, I'd say. I think it also helps if you if you find out okay if you find out uh, the the one the one time a month where somebody can't fight and all of a sudden we're like rumbling fumbling stumbling because remember uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago where the, the Derek Lewis yeah. where the Derek Lewis fight didn't happen and we're like oh crap now what? But again, that's one that you know 20 percent of the field probably isn't going to catch that news in time. Or if they do hear the news, there's not going to be as much, they're not going to hear it right away. So they won't have as many options to pivot to. And it's going to help more. It's going to be more of a benefit to those of us who already have a plan in place, already have projections in front of them, know who the best options are, you know, can use the fantasy labs optimizer to re-optimize a lineup based on the guys who've already gone while subtracting those fighters. You know, that's what I did in that one. I X'd out those two from my player pool. I locked in the fighters that are already gone. And I just clicked optimize. Like someone who has those resources and the time and is paying attention benefits more from the fighter getting scratched than some guy who just threw 20 bucks in and is out of the bar with his friends or whatever. Okay, uh, quickly as we uh, end here, uh, in the get ready to end the UFC 2022 season, what fight are you looking forward to the most early in 2023 Ooh, there's a ton of them i don't know if we're counting it as early i am kind of excited to see bo nickel make his actual debut that'll be fun and i'm looking forward a little bit i'm actually really excited about volkanovski versus makachev when they go to australia one they better get tied to ivasa on that card in australia just for fun love that guy i think it's gonna be a, just a fun card they haven't been to australia in a long time Really excited to see how Volkanovski goes up in weight, deals with a guy with that kind of wrestling. Like, Volkanovski's awesome, one of my favorite fighters. We haven't seen him pushed in a long time. And a lot of these going up in weight, you know, Adesanya went up 20 pounds to fight Jan Blahovich. Volkanovski only has to go up to 10 pounds, and he's a big dude. And I don't think Makachev is a particularly huge 55er either. So, you know, that's one of those where I think there's a more legitimate shot of him challenging and becoming a two-weight champ than with something like Adesanya's more recent attempt at that. I think the Volkan I think the Volkanovski fight's interesting because we've seen because the fact that we could have a multi a multi belt hole in the UFC is something cool. I remember Conor McGregor, uh Daniel Cormier having mm-hmm. multiple belts, but the fact you could have Volkanovski do it in Australia no less would be something. Because yeah, I and the- I was going to say, those, those two were kind of less legitimate because DC only got the 205 belt by John Jones vacating it. It's not like he ever beat the best guy in both those divisions. McGregor, it was kind of gimmicky. You know, he didn't really defend the titles. They gave him a pretty straightforward path to the title. They weren't making him really earn his way up or whatever. So this would be the most legit one we've seen probably since Cejudo. So it'll be fun. And, I mean, in fact, UFC's finally going down under might would be a 
fun because Volca because uh you know you know the Aussie fans would probably have a few beers <laughs> if well, and there's like a thousand Australian or New Zealand based UFC fighters now. Like I feel like every adult male in Australia is on a UFC roster. So they've got plenty of talent to pick from. They've got, you know, legit fighters like Volkanovsky who we're excited to see. We've also got guys like Tai Tuivasa who is just fun and also good, like not to take anything away from him. So yeah, that card I'm really looking forward to. What I'm most looking forward to is like a month with no UFC so I can take a break though, if we're being honest. <laughs> I, I would agree because I think we all need a rest. Just focus our energy on football, right? Yeah. But... All right, Billy. Uh, thanks for hopping on. Uh, we wish you folks a uh, happy, uh, ho happy holiday. Merry Christmas and uh, get ready for a crazy wild USC call this weekend and happy, healthy 2023. Yep. Make sure you go check out the projections. If you're a DFS subscriber to Fantasy Labs, we'll have all kinds of articles and betting stuff up there at Action Network as well. Thanks for having me, Dylan.